Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today. Right now, I'm 88 and scares me sometimes what I don't know. One of the great challenges is there is to always, always be a learner because there's more to know than we can ever learn in a lifetime. Well, welcome to the Unseen Leadership Podcast. I am your host, Chandler Benoit, here remotely with my co-host, Josh Hunter. Josh, yep. how's it going, yep. man? <sighs> it's going. It's going. Chandler, I'm an extrovert. And so, you know, we're, we're, we're it's June 2nd. You know, I know we're not probably supposed to date these podcasts, but we're, we're a few months into these thing, this thing and, and I need people. You know, I just need to be yeah. around people. So it's going, but it's going good. It's going better because today we have a special guest that we are excited to have a conversation with. His name is Gene Getz, and he has served as a professor at Moody Bible Institute and Dallas Theological Seminary. He launched the Fellowship Bible Church Movement in 1972, and he is the author. Chandler, are you ready for this? He is the author of 60 books. 60. I think I've read 60 books my entire life, but 60 (laughs) books, including The Measure of a Man. And then uh, one of the newest that I'm actually really excited about is the Life Essentials Study Bible. Gene, we are so happy to have you on today. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing great, Chandler, and uh, excited to be back with you. Good to hear your voice again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, we had Gene on the Five Leadership Questions podcast, which is another podcast that (laughs) the Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network has. And as soon as we heard Gene's story, I was like, Gene, I want to want you to hop on the Unseen Leadership Podcast and share uh, the behind the scenes of how you got to where you are today. So super excited to have you on. Well, it's great to be with you. Man, I, I wanted to take a second, Gene, and I, I was looking at it this morning. I have the Life Essential Study Bible right here in front of me, and I've been going through Mark and my personal devotion. So this morning I read through uh, I'm in, in Mark 10, the rich young ruler. That was the passage I was in. And I was looking at how the Bible worked and I really, really like it. Tell us how, how did you, how long did this take you, first of all, to <laughs> go through the whole Bible with, uh, you know, your thoughts and um, the different things that you've studied over, over the years. But um, how did this come about and what are you most excited about this study Bible? Well, the initial process was seven years. It took me seven years virtually full time, but how it came about was that I got a call from B&H. And, uh, of course, they had published uh, a number of my uh, character books. And uh, they knew that I ended every chapter with uh, principles to live by. So when they had finished uh, the Holman Christian Standard Bible, which now, of course, has been updated to the Christian Standard Bible, uh, they, they called me and they said, Gene, would you do a principles to live by study Bible from mm-hmm. Genesis to Revelation? And uh, I was in the process of passing my leadership baton as a senior pastor uh, here in Dallas. And um, so it seemed to be the right time. (laughs) Interestingly, they said, uh, Gene, we think with all the things you've written, you can do it in two years. Well, hello. (laughs) Uh, When I got into it, when I got into it, I just determined that going line by line, sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph, chapter by chapter, book by book, that I I could not really borrow from anything I had written before. I needed to do something really fresh. I did use my previous research, obviously, as I would use any Mm -hmm. research by anybody, which I used a lot of. But 
um, I just knew that I had to create this so that it really holds together. And uh, so I began the process and it did take seven years. But the interesting thing is that David Powers, who you met earlier, uh, David, my tech guy, had been with me for years, but he said, Gene, if you're going to teach all of this, which I knew I had to do, I had to research, write and teach it uh, just to stay on track and have accountability and get feedback. He said, let's just do high level video and put it on the web so people can follow it. Well, we didn't realize that uh, six years later, here would come a QR code technology and YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. And I got this call from um, B&H. In fact, the Bible was already laid out in uh, uh, for publishing and in Denmark and uh, uh, minus these QR codes. And they said, Jane, Jane, it came out. Of, I, I reconstructed that. It came out of a brainstorming session they were having at B&H. And they said, hey, you know, I guess has got all this stuff on video. Wow, we could edit this and put a QR code with every principle. And they called me and they said, Jane, what about it? Well, it was a total shock. We had eight months before it came off the print, but off the press. But boy, we went to work and uh, we edited over 300 hours of video. Wow. I had to, I had to redo some. I had to add to some, um, fill in some gaps, so forth. Over the you know the, that would happen over seven years and. Lo and behold, when the Bible came off the press, uh, we had all of the uh, videos on the web, and um, and that took seven years. Yeah. But for your information, uh, we did all the most of those videos we did not do in high definition. So uh, the last seven years, I have been redoing all these videos, and I'm coming into the home stretch now, and all of them have been upgraded to. Uh, awesome. High definition using 4K and now 8K cameras so that, uh, you know, it's updated and uh, we're excited about it. I, I really do like it. Uh, when you hear him talk through principles, he has a principle um, that he spreads throughout each book that he goes through. And there's a QR code that goes along with it. I just scan one. You just open your camera app, scan it, it takes you to a video that you can watch. But for those that have not really gotten into studying the Bible, maybe you're a little intimidated by heavy commentary or other study Bibles, I'd really recommend this one. It's very practical. It's very easy to understand and doesn't sacrifice theological depth. So thanks, Gene, for putting so much hard work into this. I'm really excited to continue uh, studying it. Well, hey, and I, I appreciate your comments. And let me just simply say that we've also developed a special QR reader. Uh, any QR reader will work, but uh, the one we've developed, took us a year, by the way, to develop this. It's so thorough and has so many features. And it's a free app. It's just called, just go to their app store, Life Essentials QR Reader, and uh, they'll have a lot more information that they can gain with that app. So I uh, just want to throw that in. Great. Thank you, Gene. Such a great resource and <clears throat> really do appreciate all the time and effort that you put into it. No, it was a, it was definitely a long journey. Uh, we're, we're thankful for it. Well, I want to hop in here and uh, get to the first question, Gene. So can you just walk us through a quick overview of the different leadership roles that you've been in over the years. I know when we talked last time, I know you talked about your time as a professor and then that, that God orchestrated you jumping into pastoring a church and then handing off that church. Can you just kind of walk us through what that whole journey looked like for you? Well, I almost have to begin at the beginning in the sense that I, I grew up in a sack, a religious sack um, in Indiana 
and um, didn't understand the gospel of grace. But my my parents began to understand by listening to a radio station back in the a Moody Bionis Two station back in the '30s, hearing Doctor Ironside you know, teaching grace. And uh, that impacted my life, and eventually I came out of that movement, went to Moody Bible Institute, uh, began to get theological uh, clarity on salvation. And um, and following graduation from Moody, I went out to uh, Montana. I was a part of a radio quartet, um, finishing my college work, came back to Wheaton Graduate School later, and uh, I was invited. I-, I can't believe it. You talk about youth. Um, I look back on this. I was uh, about 23 years old and I was invited to join the faculty at uh, Moody Bible Institute. And uh, that was quite an experience for me because one of the reasons is that there was a professor at Moody that saw me when I entered the school and, and just, I, I couldn't even speak the King's English well. Um, I flunked a composition test and had to take remedial composition uh, but he saw potential in me and he, he believed in me. And he said, Jane, someday you go for more education, come back. I want you to teach at Moody and went in one ear and out of the other. But as far as I know, and, and this is a humble <laughs> statement of humility, that I, I was uh, the youngest uh, member uh, of the faculty. I don't, I don't know if anybody's ever joined the faculty at 23. And I was teaching college wow. students who were older than me. And I was green as a gourd, but Boy, it was a great learning experience. So I'd say, you know, number one, that was a great, a great learning experience. But it was because somebody really believed in me and uh, and so forth. So, you know, that was the beginning. Now, I taught at Moody for 13 years. Um, and then I received an invitation to come to Dallas Theological Seminary. But I must say, I was, even while I was teaching at Moody, I was involved in church ministry. I was involved as associate pastor part-time. I was uh, director of Christian Ed and Music part-time. Uh, I always try to keep my, um, my feet on the ground in, 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 the, in the church and in reality. And uh, that certainly impacted my teaching, I believe. At least that was the feedback I got. And uh, then I came to Dallas, invited by Dr. Howard Hendricks, who's now with the Lord Jesus. But he gave me opportunity and it was in teaching at Dallas that I really got challenged in terms of the nature of the church wrote a book I never planned to write, which was sharpening the folks of the church, which helped me to start a church and never planned to start. And then after being a professor for 20 years, um, became a full-time pastor and uh, in church planting, started the Fellowship Bible Church movement. And I oftentimes say, I spent the first 20 years teaching people how to do it. In the last 40, I've been learning how. <laughs> how did the grassroots level? Because it's one thing to teach at that level and equipping people, but it's another thing to really be out there uh, digging through the trenches and church planting. And that's where the reality really uh, comes full force into into your life. So um, anyway, <laughs> that's kind of a quick overview of my, my roles as um, uh, over the last 60 plus years. Thank you so much for sharing that, Gene. I, I know you mentioned, <laughs> you, you quickly uh, hopped over this. You said, I wrote a book that I never planned to write. And that book actually turned into a uh, one that has been shared and bought and so many people have walked through. And that is The Measure of a Man. And 
I, I think that's such a incredible story of, of going through and being faithful in the moment and God using that on a broader scale. Can you, can you share just a little bit about what that process looked like of you writing the measure of a man? Yeah. And, and that was another book I hadn't planned to write. Uh, and that's part of the story on that one. Uh, the first one was sharpening the folks, at the church, which I did with the students at Dallas, which then led me really into church planning. But uh, man, once I got into church planting, I knew that I really did develop men, particularly in the church. And and uh, so I just invited a group of guys to come and join me for a Bible study. And would you believe about 25 guys stowed, showed up? It was early morning before breakfast, before they went off to work. And I was thinking, okay, what am I going to have them study? And I, I thought about First uh, Timothy and Titus and those qualities for spiritual leaders. And I knew that these were not just qualities for spiritual leaders in the church. They're really qualities of a man of God. <clears throat> Paul was just simply saying to Timothy and Titus, look, if you're going to appoint spiritual leaders, just make sure they're mature and here's how you recognize it. So it's really a profile of Christian maturity reflecting Jesus. And so I just said to the guys, hey, why don't we spend 20 weeks because there are 20 qualities, um, one, one week on each of these. And uh, I led the first one to just model uh, going into the scriptures for about 30 minutes and then opening up for feedback and interaction and application. And uh, then I asked for volunteers and I said, now next week I need guys to lead this and they're on, they're on and after that. And so I just faded into the group after the first week into a journal. This is a dynamic experience. Well, Basically, what happened is a friend of mine uh, who was at that time, Dr. Bill Gregg from California with uh, Gospelite Publications and Regal Books was in town and I'd known him and he'd heard about the church and was growing and things were happening. And he said, Jane, I just wanted to find out what's going on. And I said, well, let me show you my journaling here on this Bible study. And we'd been through about six qualities and he looked at it, <laughs> flipped through it and uh, and in and about... 30 seconds, he looked at me, he said, I want this as a book. I want this as a book. And he had his acquisition editor right beside him. He says, Dave, do you have a contract? And he said, yeah. He pulled out the contract and handed it to me and said, I'd love to have this as a book. And I prayed about it. And uh, because of that process and finishing that process, I did write the book, The Measure of a Man. And uh, I never had any idea that here, 40... Five years later, it's never gone out of print. It's used more today than when it first came out. And it's mm -hmm. in many different languages around the world. And I often say it wasn't because I wrote it. It was because I borrowed the outline from the Apostle Paul. And you know where he got it uh, from the Lord. And uh, when we get to heaven, I'll probably get, he'll get the rewards. I'll probably get penalized for plagiarism. <laughs> but the fact of the matter good. is that, that those qualities are super cultural. They're universal. They're enduring. And wherever you go in the culture of the world, you know, those qualities apply. This is maturity, uh, particularly for men. But if you study them carefully, they're repeated elsewhere for women as well throughout the whole New Testament. So that's the story of the book I never planned to write, The Measure of a Man. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Tell us about a, looking back on your leadership and the maybe different leadership roles you've had or influence you've had in others' lives. What was a pivotal moment when you look back on that story that changed your leadership, um, maybe even changed your life and the way that you viewed leadership? 
Well, I, I, I would say, I'll tell you what comes to mind, and this goes all the way back when I was a student at Moody because this professor, Dr. Harold Garner, saw potential in me. And uh, he took me on trips where he would go and speak. And he was in the field of Christian education, so he would go to small churches and speak or big churches. And he took me, and this this will date me, I was, um, uh, we were on the train going to Texas from <laughs> Chicago. And uh, we were sitting there and he said, Gene, um, you know, there's something I always pray for. And here I am, this young kid that... Uh, uh, you know, I, I'm just I'm just coming through my theological confusion and my insecurities and uh, coming out of this religious sect. And he said, you know, um, he said, I pray two things. He said, I always pray that I'll never become just a professional. And I knew, I, I just knew what he meant. He wasn't saying you shouldn't be professional, but he was saying, I don't want to become just this professional individual who's out here speaking. And then the second thing he said, which really gripped me, he said, I want to always thank God that someone comes to listen to me. Hmm. And I thought, whoa. And when we got to this little church in Texas, on a Saturday afternoon, a little Sunday school conference, probably 20 people. He ministered that 20 people like there were 20,000. And I, that, that's impacted me in a way that I, I can't forget that. And uh, it impacts me to this very day. You know, I don't want to become just a professional. Hmm. Uh, I want to be a pastor, a shepherd, a caring person. And I, I, I want to always be thankful that somebody wants to listen to what I say. And um, that just impacted me. That's, a, that's a, a lesson that I'll take to the grave or until Jesus takes me home. I think that's such a great word, especially right now, is there's some people who, um, I mean, we talk about it a good bit on this podcast of chasing platform and, and wanting influence, but just reminding ourselves that we are just being used by the Lord and it's a gift that he would use us so I really do appreciate you just bringing it back to that. But I do want to kind of dive into something that you said there is that he invited you along to go with him right. um, <laughs> to go hear him preach. And that was something that impacted your entire life, just being able to sit and watch how somebody else lived out their life. So what would you say the idea of mentorship has meant to you in your life and examples of that along the way? And how others should view mentorship and to bring others along. Well, you know, that, that impacted and changed my life. And I see how important that is in relationship to a Paul Timothy relationship or a Paul Titus relationship. And, um, you know, uh, throughout my ministry life, certainly um, I can't spend in terms of the demands that have been on my life, I can't spend tons and tons of times with lots of individuals, but I have been selective in the people that I have been with. And uh, I've had men tell me uh, that I've worked with who've been my associates. Uh, they learn more uh, with me playing racquetball and sitting in the hot tub or in the sauna afterwards than they learned from me in my teaching 
and public teaching. Um, and some of those men today are very, very significant, successful leaders in the ministry. Now, I did broaden that in, in terms of our first church uh, and then the other churches that we started in setting up an intern program uh, where we could bring uh, young people into that program. Now, that was definitely related in some respects to our culture here in Dallas because we were right next to Dallas Theological Seminary. I was a former Dallas professor, had a lot of great relationships. And it was very uh, a great opportunity that there were some students who would come to the churches that we started. And I, I felt like, um, I really felt from my academic experiences generally uh, in teaching at Moody, teaching at Dallas, that even at a seminary level, or a Bible college level, that if you're preparing for the ministry, you need to be out at the grassroots learning while you're even taking, you know, those courses at the academic level. And so in starting that church, I felt like we had a, a, a place where we could uh, have students who are interested uh, get into that program. And we were able to set up a program. Uh, it was... Really, the story behind it was a very generous uh, eye surgeon who uh, really wanted to invest in mentoring. And I found out about it and went to his home and shared my vision. And he said, well, you know, I'll pray about it. And uh, I was standing at the door talking to his wife and uh, saw him walk over to a desk. I didn't know what he was doing. Then he walked back over just as I was saying goodbye and he handed me a check for 40 grand. And he said, I want you to take this money and I want you to set up an intern program and I want you to be able to pay your interns so they don't have to work on the docks while they're at the seminary, but they can you know, make uh, ends meet and learn at the same time. Well, that was the beginning of an internship program. He funded that for several years and then eventually the church took it over and uh, that, I think, is one of our most productive things that we ever did. And as I think back over that internship, hundreds of individuals that went through it, the great majority are very, very successful in ministry. And they would say they learned more in that internship than they did at the academic level. Now, I think maybe that's a little overreaction because we were building on what they were learning. But, um, you know, that's that's a very important thing. Now, Again, what we did is we assigned these interns as our church was growing. Eventually, in the church I was pastoring, you know, at one point in time, I had 17 full-time pastors mm. uh, with me just in the one church. But we were starting branches as well uh, with pastors in the branches. And so we were able to assign an intern to a pastor. Uh and they would vary. They'd stay with a pastor, one pastor for a while, and then make changes to another. So each pastor had an intern that they were working with closely. And that paid tremendous dividends. And um, so that's kind of an elongated story of, of how that internship idea evolved. And I think it goes back to what I, what I experienced with that professor at Moody. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you going into and talking about how you're pairing the academic <clears throat> side with the hands-on practical training side. I think that is something that we can all learn from. And remember when, when we're in 
when we're studying theology, we also need to be practicing it and, and living it out in ministry. So really like what you guys did with the pairing of that in your mentorship program. You know, I, I mean, let me just say something yeah. here and knowing your age, <clears throat> please, uh, I don't mean to offend you <laughs> with this story. But one of the things that I, I learned as I worked with seminarians particularly, and I apply this to my own life, you know, even when I got into church planting at age 40, uh, that was about 40 when I got into planting. And, and believe me, I, I didn't realize how many answer and how many answers to issues I didn't have that I thought I had. And I, I sometimes, as I've addressed the seminarians, I've said, look, by the time I was 50, I began to realize how much more I needed to learn. And, and that has really been true. And I'm exaggerating a little bit when I say right now I'm 88 and scares me sometimes what I don't know. And I think that the older we get, as long as we're really walking with the Lord, one of the great challenges is there is to always, always be a learner because there's more to know than we can ever learn in a lifetime. And uh, so I say that <clears throat> kind of out of my own experience. And I look back and I, I'm kind of uh, chagrined at what I thought I knew when I didn't. And um, we can all grow. I mean, you know, uh, you, I don't think we can compare ourselves with Jesus uh, when he reached 33 because he was God. But I think we can compare it with Timothy, who was probably about 30 when he joined Paul's team, mm. and Titus and those guys. And boy, their greatest learning experiences were ahead as they worked and ministered with the Apostle Paul. No, I love that. That makes sense? No, that makes no, sense? No yeah, absolutely. No offense taken on our end. I, I totally think for us, what a great reminder to always take a humble posture of I'm a learner. And uh, I do think, especially seeing young leaders who show up thinking they know everything. Uh, I'm sure, Gene, if you see a, a young leader with that posture, <laughs> you're somewhat already dismissing them um, because that, that's really not the way to go about it. So really do appreciate that word. Yeah. Well, and I, I would say how I react to that, um, I, I'm concerned for them because I see that they're heading uh, for a crisis. If they love the Lord at all, they're going to head for a crisis and God is going to fill in that gap and it's going to be humility. Um, and I can say that of experience. I mean, God did the same for me. And uh, it, it's a very humbling experience when you go through those crises and, and you realize that you made mistakes and decisions that created the crisis because you just weren't mature enough to know what was going on. Mm. So, in, but that's, that's okay because that's how we learn. I mean, you know, we're human. Uh, I mean, just think about hopefully what people are learning today in the world of politics about a crisis that's all that they don't know how to resolve uh, in our own culture. And uh, so consequently, that, that's just part of, I think, maturing. I think we see it in the life of Moses. We see it in the life of, of all people that, that God used. 
Well, Gene, let's move a little bit away from uh, the pivotal moments and talk about some of the biggest mistakes along the way as a leader. I'm sure there weren't too many, but what was what was your biggest mistake as a leader getting started? And then how did that set you up for success later? Well, let me take you to the kind of the end of a story and then go back to the story. The end of the story is that an elder came to me one time after a crisis situation and he said, Gene, he said, let me share, you some, share with you something. He said, your greatest strength is to trust people. Your greatest weakness is to trust people you shouldn't trust. Mm. And I thought, whoa. And I had just come off of a crisis where I had trusted people I shouldn't trust. And I think that that is one of the greatest lessons I've ever learned And that when you make that mistake and you put people into positions of leadership that are not qualified and they have authority with that position, if they're not mature, they can be highly destructive. You know, it'll only take one strong, immature, carnal leader in a church to destroy the church. Just one. They can destroy the unity in the church because of the power that they exert. And so that's why I have learned to take, and that lesson that came out of that was to really take those qualities of maturity in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 so seriously. Uh, because Paul just simply said to Timothy and Titus, guys, when you appoint leaders in the church, and there he's talking about elders or bishops or spiritual leaders and later deacons. He refers to those. He said, just make sure they're mature. And here's how you discover if they're mature. And he lists those qualities, 15 in first Timothy. Then there's repetitious in Titus. But if you, um, if you blend those two together, you have about 20 qualities. And, and so over the years, I learned to take those far more seriously because so many people are put in leadership in the church because of popularity. It's a vote by the congregation uh, on people that they want in leadership. And that might be okay to a certain extent, but how do you know those individuals measure up to those qualities in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1? And I've, I learned that we needed to develop a system where every person who went into those leadership roles were evaluated based on those qualities. And that, that's the greatest lesson that I've ever learned through mistakes that I've made. What books do you wish that someone gave you when you were just starting to lead? So looking back at the beginning of your journey, where you are now, man, I wish I'd had this book as I was starting to lead. This would have helped me so much in the beginning of my leadership journey. Well, um, boy, that's, that's a difficult question to answer. I, you I can't, I can't choose from on uh, your own. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I can, uh, you know, one of the greatest and most powerful books for me in terms of my theological awakening and, and security in Christ, uh, was a book that was built on, uh, on Titus chapter two called discipline by grace. And, uh, 
that really helped me coming out of a legalistic background to know what was the basis of what mo- what should motivate us to live for Jesus Christ. And Paul there stated, it's the grace of God that teaches us to live holy, righteous lives in, in, in the, um, and uh, while we wait for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, what should discipline us to live a holy life? Legalism, rules, no, God's grace. There's nothing, anything wrong with standards, but God's grace is what should motivate us. And that was a very freeing experience for me. Now, I would say that um, one of the books, uh, the books that were written by Francis Schaeffer back in my time, for example, he wrote a book, The Church at the End of the 20th Century, that just really impacted my life. Um, and I think if I had read that book earlier, it would have helped me to uh, to answer some of the questions and the challenges that we were facing back at the turn of the century or back in the 60s and the 70s and some of the crises we were going through. But it was in God's timing because he wrote it in the, you know, basically in the 70s. And I was just able to to bring it into my thinking and it just helped transform me, particularly in helping me to understand the differences between what are absolutes in scripture and what are non-absolutes. Mm. You know, what are enduring truths and and what is uh, is a, uh, a freedom? And another way of saying it, what is form and what is function? Function being the absolutes of scripture, form being the freedom we have to apply those those functions. And that that was a um, yeah, that that was a a, a life changing experience for me. Well, before we get to the quick hitters, I want to ask one more question. And hearing you talk about the long your your long tenured experience in ministry, um, what what would you share with those who are just starting ministry? And what tips would you share with them? And advice would you share with them to to be able to in, to last the long haul within ministry and to continue to grow in your relationship with Christ along the way? Well, I, I would say first of all, be a learner. Um, we've already talked about that and, and, and realize that one of the great ways to learn is to watch and to listen, to observe. Hmm. And, um, you know, it's interesting that, you know, one of the pastors that, uh, that I worked with, and I didn't realize the extent of this is the way it was happening in his life, but he's told me later and he's a very successful pastor. He started one of our branches and, church is going really well. It's a mega church. It's strong. And he said, uh, he said to me on several occasions when he's faced crises, he said, Jane, I want you to know as your associate, I learned more from watching you solve issues and problems than I ever learned from anything that you basically said, you know, from the pulpit or in teaching, but just watching how you did it. Now that was happening. And I didn't even know it. Um, uh, but but I would say that I look back at my own life, that, that's true of myself in terms of just watching how people deal with issues. Um, I'm not sure I'm hitting the target on your question. Now, what, what did you just ask me? <laughs> just really looking for maybe two to three tips that you would share with. with well, be a learner. Be a learner. That's that was the point. Yeah, that I was I was making there. 
And, and I would say also look for someone that uh, as a young person in ministry that uh, would mentor you, um, you know, approach them and say, you know, I, I want to learn everything I can learn. And, you know, some people are hesitant to tell you what you need to know unless you ask them mm. because they're not quite sure where you're coming from. Uh, they may feel like they're imposing into your life or your experience. Uh, and so people are honored when they're asked for wisdom. And uh, so I would just say, don't hesitate to do that. Now, some will respond and say, you know, boy, I'd love to. I just don't have time to do that. But maybe somebody else could. But you'd be surprised how many people respond to that and uh, and mentoring you and giving you wisdom. And it may be somebody outside of your church, um, in another church, uh, where y you know about them and they're they're interested in helping you. Now, chances are they may be busy within their own scenario, but fact is they may be open to that. So that would be a second thing is to to ask for that. And then, of course, um, I think you know, wow. We've got to uh, we've got to stay in the Word, and we've got to stay connected to the body of Jesus Christ. I think that uh, there's no place for being a loner, uh, practically or biblically, uh, because we're part of the body of Jesus Christ, and we all need each other. And uh, that 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 means every individual. I don't care how high we've climbed the ladder, as it were, of leadership and people looking to us, we always need accountability and we always need uh, to learn from those around us. We always need to seek wisdom from people regardless. And even at this moment in my life, you know, and I'm very active in ministry at, at 88, but there are a lot of a lot of situations where I just seek the wisdom of my staff. I seek the wisdom of my board. I think I know what the answer is, but I'm not sure. I just want affirmation. And a lot of times I'll get insights that I just didn't think about. And that's a biblical principle. It's, uh, it's based on the fact that God has created the body of Christ and every member of that body is important in our lives. Well, thank you for those those tips. Well, let's move to the quick hitters now. And these are just going to be short one minute answers. And we'll get started with this one. Uh, Pre-COVID-19, what was your ideal daily routine? So what time do you wake up, get into the office, all that good stuff? Well, you know, I, it's interesting as I've grown a little older, I get up a little later, I uh, have breakfast with my wife, uh, try to be in the office between nine and ten and stay very busy, but I usually am the last one to leave the office. I work until six or seven. It just works better for me uh, on that schedule. Um, boy, if I take you back to my other schedules, you know, uh, that that's varied over the years. When I taught at Moody Bible Institute, I had to get up at four o'clock in the morning to get into Chicago, <laughs> you know, take like that. <laughs> But it's, it's, it works well for me now, uh, being older, to come in a little later and work later. 
and I can get things done that uh, when the office is empty as well that I can't when there's a lot of activity. Uh, like to really like to spend time with my wife um, in the morning to spend time uh, after breakfast uh, praying together. Um, I, by the way, I just got to share a quick one here with you. Um, boy, I'm going over one minute, but if I, I can go just, for it, if I can just share with you um, one thing that, that happened um, one morning, this happened uh, several years ago now. Uh, I was in a hurry to get to the office. And she wanted to share something for prayer. And I was just in a rush. And she said, Jane, um, can I say something? I said, sure. She said, I, I have noticed lately that you have not prioritized prayer as you used to. And boom, it hit me, right? Right between the eyes because she was right. And actually, and she was referring, you know, praying with her, praying about things for the family uh, and so forth. Uh, so I, I really, really, at this stage of my life, is spending more time praying with her every morning as much as possible before I, before I come to the office. And that, that fits my schedule. I'm able to do that. And my staff uh, understands, you know, that, that schedule for me. In some respects, I spend more time in the office than they do, but I just do it a little later. Gene, I'm, I'm curious to hear what your answer is on this, but what is your favorite personality test? You know, the Enneagram has been really popular lately, but you have Myers-Briggs, all those different tests. What's your favorite one? Well, you're going to uh, be surprised at this. Um, and I say it, I, I'll try to say it as humbly as I can. <laughs> <laughs> Can't but wait. But it's the one I helped develop called the Style of Influence Inventory. Okay which is now becoming pretty major in being used even by Citibank and some of the major organizations. Doug Wilson, who's a psychologist, and I developed that test a number of years ago, and it really helps to uh, test your style of influence, how you lead, and it's very non-threatening, and it's becoming very popular, and I think you'll find out it'll be a lot more popular. How's that for self-promotion? I love it. That's great. <laughs> I love it. Well, and give, us, give us the name of it one more time. Jim. Yeah, it's the Style of Influence. Style S -O of Influence. S-O-I, right. S-O-I, S-O-I. Got it now. If you have not, you're going to want to check that one out. Sounds great. Well, Gene, what is an unusual habit that helps you in your leadership? An unusual habit. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, I, you know, habit can be good or bad, and I'm going to focus on the good. I think being an encourager, mm. I really try to be an encourager. I try to really let people know uh, that I believe in them. Uh, if they do something that's very noticeable, uh, I want to give them feedback immediately, thank them. Uh, I've just found that a word of encouragement, uh, you know, is in many respects, being an encourager is more important to people than their salary. We know that from psychological testing. Now, salary is important, obviously, to meet needs. <laughs> but if you're living in a community where you're not receiving positive feedback and encouragement, I don't care what your salary is, you can be discouraged. Hmm. Last question, Gene. 
and I can't wait to hear the answer. What one sentence advice would you give someone going into a leadership position for the very first time? I would say be teachable. Be very teachable and uh, be prepared because you're going to face crises and learn to face those crises with the help of other people. Seek wisdom and guidance. Thanks, Gene. Well, Gene, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today and sharing about your leadership journey. And thank you for listening today. We hope this has been helpful to you and your leadership. And if it has, head on over to Instagram, give us a follow, say, hey, we'd love to interact there. And also just share about the podcast so that other leaders like yourself can find it. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. Peace.